Now, before we proceed with this episode, I do have something important that I need to share with everybody. As you guys know, about two years ago, I did a sketch comedy show called The Going Live Show. And while I was on the show, I worked with a very talented cast and became friends with practically every cast member on the show. And one friend that I had in particular, her name was Tata Sharice. Now, if you watch the Going Live show, you know who Tata is. She was basically um, the public defender. That was her uh, main gimmick on the uh, show. That was the main character she played, and she did that quite a few times. And if you saw the um, Hood Exorcist sketch, uh, she played the mother in the sketch. Like, I played the, uh, the priest that was trying to, you know, get the demon out of her son in the sketch. Uh, she played the mom and I played the priest going, the power of Christ compels you. Like that was me. Well, sadly, this past Christmas Eve, uh, Tata Sharice was carjacked at gunpoint while coming home from a comedy show. Now, the good news is she is not hurt physically. The bad news is her car was stolen and the merchandise that she sells after shows was stolen as well. And she currently has a GoFundMe page set up to help her raise the money that she needs to get a new car and order more merch so she can, you know, get back to selling merch and get out there performing. And what I'm going to do is I am going to read the synopsis of her GoFundMe page to further illustrate what she's looking for rather than try to paraphrase phrase it. So this is on her GoFundMe page. Hey y'all, so I got carjacked. I'm no stranger to obstacles or overcoming tough times, but what recently happened to me was something I really wasn't prepared for. I was carjacked at gunpoint by two men on Christmas Eve coming home from a show. Comedy is now the majority of my income, so my car was very important to me because it's how I get to most shows. Also, all of my Tata Sharice merchandise was in the trunk of my car, which is another big part of my income. I'm blessed to be alive. I do about five to 10 shows a month and I'm really grinding. I don't plan to give up at all, but I'm creating this GoFundMe to help speed things up so I can get back to doing what I love and bring joy to others. Anything that anybody can contribute would be greatly appreciated and used to go towards a car and to replace my merchandise that I sell at shows. I appreciate the support and my spirit has not been broken. Thank you for the love that people have already showed me and anything further helps. I just entered year six of my stand-up comedy career and it has been an incredible journey. I've hit amazing milestones and so far I've performed in over 200 shows non-stop, but I can't let this situation slow me down. And as I mentioned before, Tata Sharice is a friend of mine. I've worked with her before. She is hilariously funny and a tremendous talent. And I am encouraging all of the Boochcast fans to donate money to Tata Sharice's GoFundMe to help her get back on her feet, get back on the road, and get back to doing what she does best. So from now until the GoFundMe page is completed, I am going to be putting the link to her GoFundMe page on every single Boochcast episode going forward inside the synopsis so you can use it to go there and do whatever you can to help her out. I will also be providing links on the Boochcast social media pages so you can access them there as well. So go to the link, donate what you can, and help Tata Sharice get back to bringing joy and laughter to the world. So just how far down do you want to go? Well, we could talk it out over a cup of joe And you could look deep into my eyes Like I was a supermodel
What's up everybody, this is Vinny Bucci, aka The Booch, and welcome to the recap of AEW. And as you can see, ladies and gentlemen, if you read the synopsis, you already know, The Booch is writing solo for this episode right here. And the reason that I'm writing solo is because apparently Gator has another student showcase show for his wrestling students at the school, but waited until a few days ago to tell me that was happening. Now, obviously in April, when he had the show, he told me well in advance it was going to happen. And then he uh, was nice enough to remind me that that was happening so that I would not freak out and get pissed off because there was a chance I was going to forget with everything that I got going on. But apparently it was happening again and he assumed that I knew and I didn't. So we had a discussion back and forth and he did apologize for not telling me that was going to happen. And obviously he's going to be taking care of that. So he is not here and did not watch AEW. Now, if you guys listen to the WCW Mayhem 2000 pay-per-view review that we did, uh, you know that Gator and I apparently had some... Uh, issues. We were butting heads. I did preface in advance that Gator and I have worked out our issues and we are past that, but obviously that wasn't the case when you listen to the episode because we recorded that months in advance and scheduled it. So Gator and I are no longer feuding. We're not arguing. We're over all that shit. I did tell Gator, however, not to listen to that episode, but of course to still share it with his fans and make sure you guys give it a listen. As Now, obviously, the Booch fans, I want them to listen as well. But if you're following me on the social medias and you're following the Booch cast on the social medias, you already know the episode came out. But I wanted Gator to send it to his fans since Gator was also on the show. Now, if you haven't had a chance to, after you're done listening to this, go back and listen to the WCW Mayhem 2000 classic pay-per-view review. It's very, very funny, very, very entertaining and informative for those of you that wanted us to do more WCW 2000 pay-per-views. Now, one more thing I want to mention here before I officially jump into this recap is some of you might have been surprised by the song that played at the beginning of this show. Now, that song, for those of you who may not know, is called Banditos by The Refreshments. This is a classic uh, 90s song, and the reason I played it is because Gator and I came to the conclusion that this should be my new theme song. As you guys know, the normal theme song that I play when I do shows solo or anything else for that matter, it's kind of like my, my entrance theme, my theme song is The Man by The Killers, because I like that song, it gets me hyped up, and I think it's just really, really cool, you know? I got gas in the tank, I got money in the bank, I got news for you, baby. You're looking at the man. I love that song. It just gets me hyped up, gets my energy going, and... I thought it was a great song. Well, apparently Spotify doesn't like it and flagged it for copyright. And I had to remove it from some episodes uh, that had aired and from some upcoming episodes that were going to drop and be presented to the masses. So as a result, I had to find a new theme song. We were going over some stuff and Gator was pitching some ideas and most of them sucked. But then he came up with this song, which is weird because I haven't heard this song in a long time for reasons that I will divulge at a later date. But I do remember hearing this song and I love it because one of the verses in the song is everybody knows that the world is full of stupid people and that's why I love the song so much and that's why Gary thought it was perfect for me because 
This song and that particular verse pretty much sums up the overall theme of the Boochcast and my opinions on life in general. That the world is full of stupid people. Because one thing that I love to do is call out stupid shit and stupid people all the time. Because keep in mind, I worked in retail for 13 years, as I mentioned many, many times before. 10 years at Home Depot, 3 years at Lowe's. 13 years. And in those 13 years, I have encountered some of the dumbest motherfuckers walking God's green earth. Like literally the level of stupid I had to deal with on a constant basis. It's a miracle I didn't snap and kill them all. It really is. Every day I didn't do that was a victory. Now, I've also encountered a lot of stupidity in the world of wrestling. I talk about it all the time when I call out stupid bullshit. No doubt during this recap, I'm going to be calling out quite a bit of stupid bullshit. But because me calling out stupid bullshit seems to be an overall theme of mine, Gator and I agreed this song would be perfect. So, unless Spotify decides to throw some copyright claims for this, which I'm not sure they would, but who fucking knows at this point, uh, this will be my theme song whenever I'm on here individually. If I'm here by myself, this will be the song that plays. Now, if Spotify decides to throw some bullshit copyright crap my way, then I will go and find another song. In fact, I have a backup somewhere um, that I found that I will use in the event that this doesn't work. But I'm hoping it will, because like I said before, that sums up everything about the Boochcast and everything about me. That the world is full of stupid people. And in the spirit of that, we're going to jump into this recap of AEW. This is, of course, the go-home show before Double or Nothing set to take place this Sunday on pay-per-view. And, of course, it will air the same time as Battleground. And since Sunday is going to be the one day off that I have for this week, no doubt I will be watching both of these pay-per-views at the same damn time. Because fortunately for me, I have what I like to call dual monitor. And because I have dual monitors, I am able to have Double or Nothing play on one monitor and Battleground play on the other. So I'll definitely be watching both of these shows at the same time. And we kick things off with our first official match of the evening for the AEW International Championship. Orange Cassidy defends the title against Kyle Fletcher. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, I have to say the same thing that I always say whenever I see these matches. Waste of time, bullshit spot fest, why the fuck is Orange Cassidy still a champion? Again, this is an example of why Tony Khan does not deserve to be called the Booker of the Year. Because he makes so many stupid decisions and he is literally backing somebody who cannot draw him money. And the only reason... He is over is because AEW only caters to the internet marks. There is not a casual wrestling fan on the planet that is behind Orange Cassidy. Every now and then, he does something decent in a ring. But overall, he is still the same dog and pony show that we have seen over the last four years. There is nothing special about Orange Cassidy. Nothing. Literally nothing. Yet he continues to be the international champion. He is not elevating this title and the title is not elevating him. It is just sitting there around his waist. They should seriously change the name from the International Championship to the AEW Smart Mark Championship. Because that's literally what this is. A Smart Mark title around the waist of a Smart Mark wrestler who is only appealing 
to the smart mark fans who don't care about psychology, don't care about storytelling, don't care about making anything look believable. They just want to see the fancy tricks. That's what this title is at this point. And I'm actually thinking about invoking the elite rule going forward because, quite frankly, I'm sick of watching these matches. I'm going to confer with Gator to see if that's what we're going to do going forward, but I'm really thinking about invoking the elite rule on Orange Cassidy because I can't fucking sit through this anymore. Nothing's getting better. Nothing's getting interesting. He is literally the same guy he was when he first walked into this company, and it's disgusting to watch. And on that note, we cut to the backstage area where Ricky Starks is announced for the Blackjack Battle Royal. And he is asked about getting disqualified last week. And he says he's taking matters into his own hands because he has nothing to lose. Starks gets attacked by Jay White and Juice Robinson. White hits Starks with a chair. White makes it clear they are not done with Starks yet. And my question is simple. Why the fuck is this rivalry continuing? What the fuck is going to come from all this? Nothing. This doesn't help Ricky Starks at all. If anything, this diminishes Ricky Starks. This takes the star power that he has accrued on his own. It is taking the money-drawing ability that he has acquired through honing his skills and is completely destroying it. Because Juice Robinson, he ain't shit. He's not. There is nothing about Juice Robinson that is worthwhile. Jay White, apparently there was something. I don't know what the fuck it is. Because I know Jay White has some good qualities, but unfortunately he's hanging out with fucking losers. And I can say that about a lot of people in AEW. Have good qualities, but hang out with fucking losers. So this is just a waste of time. This rivalry's going nowhere. It needs to end. The only way to make this interesting is if Ricky Starks wins the fucking Battle Royal and is able to walk out with the international title. I think that Orange Cassidy, if I'm not mistaken, is defending his title in the Blackjack Battle Royal. I'm trying to look that up right now to see if that is the case. Uh, yes. Apparently that is the case. The Blackjack Battle Royal for the AEW Double or Nothing and he puts the title in that Battle Royal against 20 other competitors. Okay, so, yeah. I would love to see Ricky Starks win that. Win this fucking title and then maybe he can elevate this fucking title and make it mean something. Because Orange Cassidy ain't fucking doing that. And maybe if they added the title into the mix, it could make this storyline more interesting because it gives them something realistic to fight for. Instead of having to force a rivalry that nobody wants to see, isn't remotely interesting, and isn't going to motivate people to tune in next week. No one's tuning in to see this. And if you are, please let me know. Comment below if you're listening to this on social media or DM us on social media. And please explain to me if you are following this rivalry why are you following it? Why is it interesting? And why should I or Gator give a single fuck about it? Please enlighten me. I would love to fucking hear in exact detail why this rivalry is worth my time or anybody's time for that matter. And next we cut to a promo with uh, Jungle Boy Jack Perry who discusses his journey to the main event of AEW Double or Nothing. He emphasizes his passion for wrestling and vows to win the AEW World Championship. Now, <laughs> here's the thing. Ladies and gentlemen, and you've heard me talk about it. You've heard Gator talk about it. I've gone on rants about it. But ever since the fan convention, I can't take Jungle Boy seriously. Like, he's talking about his passion for wrestling. 
Meanwhile, he was at a convention called For the Love of Wrestling and showed no love for wrestling at any given point. And apparently a lot of people were pissed off over the match he had with Rush last week. I just noticed how brutal it was, but apparently a lot of people thought that Rush was going into business for himself and he was a piece of shit and all that. And here's the thing. If Jungle Boy was the same Jungle Boy that I saw at Revolution who beat Christian Cage, I would 100% agree with that. But I honestly think after the shit he pulled at the fan convention, Rush had every right to beat some fucking sense into Jungle Boy. Because as far as I'm concerned, Jungle Boy don't deserve a push. Because I don't give a fuck how good you are in a wrestling ring. That's something people need to understand about me and people need to understand about a lot of great wrestling minds. They don't give a fuck how good you can flip. They don't care how many good chain wrestling moves you got. They don't care about the fancy bullshit tricks that you do that make the business look fake because it takes too much cooperation to make it happen. They don't give a fuck about any of that. They care about professionalism and can you draw money. Because nobody pays to see you, it doesn't matter how good you are. And if you're difficult to work with and you don't draw money, you ain't gonna last very long. The people who are difficult and last very long are the ones who draw fucking money. Because if you're the guy that people are paying money to see, promoters will put up with a lot more shit from you. Now, obviously there is a limit, there is a cap on how much they're gonna take, but you can get away with a little bit more because you're still putting money in the promoter's pocket, which in turn puts money in everybody else's pocket. Well, Jungle Boy ain't doing that. It's weird because ever since Revolution, he has gone down tremendously. His promos have diminished. His matches have diminished. He went from being the guy that I thought was going to be the top babyface to being an absolute fucking joke. And I am baffled at how fast it happened and how obvious it is that Jungle Boy doesn't care. He is basically one of those guys that just wants to go out there and do his shit. That's what I've learned. Jungle Boy is basically Ultimate Warrior if you shrank him in the dryer and made him a little more woke. That's what he is. He's a small woke version of the ultimate warrior that's what i see from him a guy who doesn't care about wrestling he just wants to do his shit and that's why i don't respect jungle boy and why i'm actually glad that rush beat the fucking shit out of him last week now the only issue i have is that belly to belly where he damn near broke his neck that was uncalled for because i don't care how unprofessional someone is no one deserves to be injured because that's the trick you don't injure somebody you just beat their ass it's a difference you beat some respect into them, but you don't injure somebody. That, that There's no cause for that. Now, thankfully, Jungle Boy didn't break his neck because I don't think he deserves a broken neck, but he definitely deserved the ass kicking that he got from Rush and the no-selling and everything because I don't blame him. After the way Jungle Boy behaved at fan convention, I'd do the same fucking thing. I've already said, I want to see him eat the pin at Double or Nothing. That's what I want to see. Whether MJF retains or whether Darby Allen or Sammy Guevara take the belts, whatever happens, I want Jungle Boy to eat the pin because he doesn't deserve to be champion. Because he is not a baby face that you can build the company around, at least not right now. If he wants to be that guy, he needs to have a serious attitude adjustment. Whether somebody in the locker room, a veteran, straightens up his attitude. Whether Tony Khan grows a set of balls and straightens up his attitude. Or if you pay enough money to John Cena for a one-night appearance, have him get in the ring, 
pick up Jungle Boy, give him a fucking attitude adjustment, and maybe that'll knock some sense into the motherfucker. Whatever you gotta do to get Jungle Boy to straighten up and fucking fly right, do it. Or turn him heel. And after that, we cut to an in-ring segment with FTR. The AEW World Tag Team Champions come to the ring. Wheeler says Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal are smart and lucky, but their luck will run out at double or nothing. Harwood doesn't blame Jarrett for attaching his name to FTR. But he says some rejects from TNA won't be the head of the tag team division. Hardwood calls Karen Jarrett a bitch and says Jarrett should call Dixie Carter to make sure he has job security. Mark Briscoe comes out and Wheeler tells him they go to hell and back for him. Mark says they're blood brothers for life. He asks Harwood what his pile driver was all about and Harwood apologizes. Harwood tells Briscoe to shake his hand and he refuses. Harwood insists and Briscoe slaps him. Wheeler holds Harwood back as Briscoe leaves. Mark shoves Jeff Jarrett down as he comes out. He tells Lethal he's getting tired of this bullshit and walks away. This right here was a perfect segment. I loved every minute of this. FTR took some good shots at Jeff Jarrett. You know, calling him and Jay Lethal rejects from TNA because that's what everybody's been thinking ever since Jeff Jarrett showed up in AEW and aligned himself with Sanjay Dutt and Jay Lethal because those were three guys that made names for themselves in TNA. So that made sense. And, you know, calls his wife a bitch. Makes perfect sense. I mean, they did hit a low blow and cost them a match or whatever. So it would make sense for them to call Karen Jarrett a bitch and to call Dixie Carter to make sure he has job security because obviously Dixie Carter was the person who later took over TNA when her father's company acquired TNA and became investors. So she became like the, the head person in charge. So that makes sense. And Mark Briscoe, Wanting to know about the pile driver, Dax Harwood acknowledging, you know, hey, I was blind. I thought I was hitting Jay Lethal. I didn't realize it was you. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Shake my hand. And then he knocks his hand away and he goes, dude, look, I'm sorry, but please don't disrespect me. Shake my hand. He slaps him. So now Dax is like, okay, I've already apologized. I've shown remorse and now you're slapping me. All right, fuck you, motherfucker. And then Cash is in there keeping the peace because he's trying to show, hey, there's respect amongst the Briscoes and FTR from all the wars that they fought. And of course, Mark Briscoe, you know, knocking out Jared and everything else because he ain't friends with him. He don't give a shit. He gets rid of Sanjay Dutt. He don't give a fuck about that. But he tells Jay Lethal, look, we boys, but I'm getting tired of this bullshit. So he didn't attack Jay Lethal because they're boys. So he let him live, but basically said, I'm tired of this. Now, what I love about this is the fact that now Mark Briscoe says he's tired of the bullshit and he slapped Dax, which tells me right now, right here and now, Mark Briscoe is going to call this match down the middle. And he should call this match down the middle because, unfortunately, Jay Briscoe is no longer with us. So there is no reason for Mark Briscoe to feud with FTR unless he wants to go one-on-one -on -one against Dax Harwood down the road. But then if you do a rivalry like that, you got Cash Wheeler basically sitting around with his dick in his hand, not knowing what the fuck to do. He'll basically be like a spare prick at the wedding, just fucking sitting there, not knowing what to do because Mark Briscoe doesn't have a tag partner because I don't see Mark Briscoe teaming up with anybody. I think he's done in the tag team division, and I think he's going to do that out of respect for his brother. I think Mark Briscoe is going to compete for singles gold, which in my opinion is what he should do. That's what he should do. He should not wrestle for tag team gold anymore because I think for someone to book that would be disrespectful to the memory of Jay because there's nobody else that Mark could have better chemistry with. There's just not. Now, if at some point down the road, you'd like Mark Briscoe and FTR to be the trios champions, I could see that scenario happening. I would be down for that. But as far as the normal tag team gold, Mark Briscoe should be done with that. 
And on that note, we cut to an interview with Sammy Guevara, who said that MJF's offer to lay down at double or nothing. Uh, Guevara officially turns it down as he says he can't be bought. He says he's going to take the title from MJF. Now, this was a good promo. It was decent. I don't. I wouldn't say it's over the moon kick ass, but it was decent. But again, here lies a problem. Sammy Guevara is continuing to cut baby face promos, despite the fact that for most of his career in AEW, he has been a heel. The fans have embraced him as a heel because in real life, he is an actual piece of shit human being, and he has a very punchable face. So why is he cutting baby face promos unless? you plan on turning him babyface. I think that's why Gator mentioned last week he thinks he's going to be a double turn. He thinks Sammy's going to turn face and Jungle Boy's going to turn heel. Jungle Boy definitely needs to turn heel, but I don't know if Sammy will, will work well as a babyface. And if he does turn into a babyface, obviously his next feud is going to have to be with the Jericho Appreciation Society. Because even though he has not been anywhere near the Jericho Appreciation Society since they started building up this Pillars 4-way, he technically is still a member. Him and Ty Cunty are still part of this. So if Sammy Guevara is going to become a full-time babyface, then there has to be a feud between Sammy and Chris Jericho. In fact, I would consider that the natural progression. I would go in that direction, and I would build to something off of that. And the reason I would do that is because the only way Sammy can become a true top babyface is to get out from underneath the shadow of Chris Jericho. So I would build a rivalry and a program with them and I would culminate it at either Forbidden Door or the Wembley show in August. Now, unless at some point in between all that, there's going to be a fighter fest or fight for the fallen. Maybe then you can have like two of the matches on there. But I would, I would have a program and I would end it at a pay-per-view preferably. Either, either Forbidden Door. I don't know if that would count. I don't know if it has to be strictly AEW versus New Japan. Or if you can have two AEW guys fight each other on the show. I don't know how that, I can't remember how this works. But I would make that one of the matches. But if you can make it happen at the Wembley show, that's great. Or culminate it at All Out. Since All Out is one of the biggest pay-per-view events. It's like the ultimate. Other than All In, of course, which is going to be the Wembley show. But have either Wembley or All Out be the final battle. And you have Sammy Guevara versus Chris Jericho. And Jericho puts over Sammy Guevara. Now, obviously, if they have more than one match, Jericho can win at least one of those. But he would have to cheat to win. But have Sammy win the feud. He wins the final battle. And then he can break away from Chris, become a top babyface. And maybe if he changes his fucking behavior and acts like a fucking grown-up for once in his immature goddamn life, then maybe he can become a top babyface that people will actually fucking like. And hopefully he gets tired of doing the spot monkey bullshit and learns how to fucking work and become an even bigger star. And on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening for the AEW Trios Championship. The House of Black defend the titles against A.R. Fox, Blake Christian, and Metalik. Okay, now apparently this was done under the house rules, which I don't remember the rules, and quite frankly, I don't give a fuck, because overall it was fucking stupid. You couldn't keep up with any of this crap, and, you know, the House of Black, like I said, they are not over. Individually, these guys might do well. Like, I, I could see Brody King breaking off on his own and doing a good job, but Malachi and Buddy are holding him back. Blake Christian, he's about as interesting as watching paint dry. Metalik, he was boring in WWE and he's boring here. And uh, AR Fox, I like AR Fox. 
And in fact, I actually know some guys who are trained by AR Fox because he's one of the main trainers at uh, the A4 school. And I don't necessarily hate AR Fox, but I've seen AR Fox work a match. I've seen him use psychology and storytelling because I have a buddy who showed me a match between him and Claudio on a Ring of Honor show. And it was one of the best matches I've seen in a while. And it's one of the best matches I've ever seen AR Fox have. And it bothers me that he can't have matches like that consistently. But he can have he can have a great match like that, but then he comes on AEW and does the fucking spot monkey bullshit that makes no fucking sense and is illogical. And I think that's what frustrates me even more because I know AR Fox is better than this, yet he continues to do these moves that, again, are not believable, make no sense, and require too much cooperation in order to pull it off safely. And I know AR Fox teaches his students the psychology storytelling ways. I just wish A.R. Fox would practice what he preaches to his students in the ring. Now, again, just to clarify, I do not hate A.R. Fox. It just frustrates me that I know he's capable of doing psychology and storytelling, yet I don't see a lot of that in his matches in AEW. So it's, this is not a hate thing. This is more of a frustration thing. And on that note, we get to the backstage area with the Blackpool Combat Club, who hype up the anarchy in the arena match at AEW Double or Nothing. John Moxley said nobody in the world is better at wrestling than them. He says the BCC will deliver on Sunday. The difference between professionals and amateurs will be clear. Now, obviously, because of the elite rule, Gator and I will not be talking about anarchy in the arena. In fact, when that match comes on, whatever is going on on Battleground is going to have my undivided attention. In fact, the only time I'm gonna look over is to see if the match is fucking over. But, um, I will say in spite of all that, great promo from the BCC. Love Brian Danielson. He is so passionate about this. John Moxley, also a great talker. And I love the fact that those two are cutting the promos. Because apparently Claudio, as I mentioned before, is too fucking lazy to want to get better at promos. And Wheeler Useless, I don't want to hear him speak because like I said, he's fucking useless. But at least you have two great promos and Brian Danielson and John Moxley to sell the match and get the point across. Perfect. Did exactly what he needed to do. Next, we cut to an in-ring segment with the AEW World Champion, MJF. MJF mocks the Nevada crowd and says they might have to change the name to Virgin Vegas. He cites Darby Allen's goal to climb Mount Everest and says he wishes he would do it with his shoes tied together. He highlights the importance of the title match and says the four pillars have been there since day one. MJF said nobody knew who they were four years ago, but now they have given them the best matches and moments in AEW history. MJF says the pillars are AEW. He then says he doesn't want to be a pillar anymore as he's bored and sick of this place. He says he's tired of the lack of competition and respect. MJF brings up his looming free agency and says Tony Khan is hitting the panic button. He claims everyone desperately wants someone to take the title off of him. MJF says he might take his ball and go home. As for Double or Nothing, he says none of his opponents are on the level of the devil. Darby Allen comes out and says he has lost a lot in life, but he knows who he is and where he's going. He looks back on people telling him not to expect much in life, and he believed them. Allen says he used to clean toilets at the 99 cent store, but he was meant for more than that. He reflects on his journey to this point, talking about living in a car, driving to Atlanta, and felt he should stay in that car until he makes it, and then came to AEW. Allen tells MJF he wants to be the face of AEW, and to do that, he needs to win the title. He says he's going to win the title on Sunday. MJF kicks him in the nuts, but before he can attack Alan Moore, Sammy Guevara makes the save. MJF runs away. Jungle Boy Jack Perry comes out and drops MJF with a clothesline. 
and then holds up the title while Sammy Guevara looks from the top turnbuckle and Darby Allen still sitting on the ground as he was recovering from the uh, cock shot. All right, first off, love the promo from MJF. The Virgin Vegas line was perfect and MJF showing how great of a heel he truly is. He puts over his opponents. He acknowledges the challenge ahead of him, but then turns around and talks about, you know, the bidding war of 2024 and how his contract is expiring in January and how if WWE can fork up enough money, he'll go there. And that's why people are scared. Because, again, the Marks are thinking that MJF's not going to go there because he wants all that freedom and creativity. In reality, MJF wants the money. If the money is right, he will adapt to whatever WWE wants him to do. And that's the reality of most wrestlers. That's why the guns that say, I'll never go to WWE. Yeah, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Congratulations. Because you really think Tony Khan's going to keep you around forever? If you do, you're stupid. At some point, you have to drop some motherfuckers. So... You don't want to burn any bridges. That's why you see a lot of guys not burning bridges. Or that's why a lot of times when you hear wrestlers talk about, would you go to this place? Would you go to that place? Whatever. Most of them say, never say never. Because in the wrestling business, you never say never. Because time heals all wounds. And for the right amount of money, a person will come back or go somewhere else. And it's no different than when uh, normal people leave their jobs to go somewhere else because they offer more money or whatever. And then, of course, Darby Allen comes out. And again, Darby Allen displaying that he really wants to be the top babyface and earning it. That was a great story, you know? People told him he wouldn't amount to anything, and he believed them for a period of time. That, to me, was my favorite part of the promo, and I'm going to tell you why. I hear so many people, whether they're wrestlers, celebrities, comedians, whatever, where they talk about, oh, this person tried to crush my dreams, but I didn't listen, and I kept going and going and going, and I never gave up, and it's a great feeling, and it's a great story, and I respect people who never give up and chase their dreams. Lord knows that's what I'm fucking doing. But when you hear every single person say that, after a while, you get desensitized, you become bored, and it becomes repetitive. So it's nice to see somebody go, hey, someone told me I wasn't going to amount to anything, and for a period of time, I believed them. To me, that's more honest. It's like, hey, I went through the manipulation of thinking I wasn't going to amount to anything. And I went through all this crap. But eventually, I snapped myself out of it and decided I meant for more in life and I went for it. I love that. He admitted to cleaning toilets at the 99 cent store. That makes him instantly relatable to people. Not, not because a lot of people clean toilets at the 99 cent store, but we've all been in situations where we worked jobs that we didn't like. I mentioned it earlier in the show when I reminded everybody about the 13 years of retail. I was stuck in my life. I used that to pay the bills while I was chasing my dream. And there was a period of time where I was scared I was never going to get out of there. And I was worried, like, is this going to be my life? Am I going to be working at Home Depot or am I going to be working at Lowe's till the day I die? And if that's the case, how much longer do I really want to live? Those were, those were thoughts running through my head during those 13 years. But I never gave up. I knew I was destined for more. And eventually I got out of there. And now I'm... You know, still climbing an uphill battle. I still got a ways to go in certain areas, but I'm no longer in the retail world and I'm doing things that I love to do. And Darby's saying the same thing. He got in his car. He drove to Atlanta. He lived in that car while working the indies and waited until he made it to finally stop living in that car and buy himself a place. He got himself a house. Then he got his dad a house. 
Or maybe him and his dad live in that house together. I don't fucking know. Either way, he was able to achieve his dream of becoming a professional wrestler. And now he wants to be the top guy in AEW because he loves this place and he doesn't want to leave. And he says in order to be the face of the company, he has to win the title. So again, giving people an incentive to root for him. And the best part about this is it goes back to what MJF said earlier, how much they've all changed in four years. Look at MJF from where he started four years ago till now. MJF is now the top heel in all of wrestling. He is second only to Roman Reigns. Other than that, there is no better heel. You got Sammy Guevara. Much as I hate him, he's done a lot in four years. Jungle Boy. I went. He went from the stupid boy in his dinosaur to becoming somewhat of a man to now becoming kind of a prick behind the scenes, which makes it hard to root for him while he's in the ring. So Jungle Boy's kind of gone up and then went back down. Darby Allen, I'm so impressed with him. He went from being this human pincushion who was fucking killing himself every week to working better matches, getting better promos. He stopped the whole brooding, I'm dark and have my uh, stupid shit. And is now fucking cutting phenomenal babyface promos, firing up, getting the crowd excited. And like I said, he's learned how to work and time his spots. He's not doing a whole lot of stupid shit like he used to do. Darby Allen has improved the most. I know some people probably think I say MJF improved the most, but MJF never really improved. He just got more accomplishment. Out of all the pillars, MJF is the most accomplished, but Darby Allen is the most improved because MJF's been perfect since he walked through the door. That's just the truth. Darby Allen has gotten better. MJF is just MJF. That's why he's a generational talent. He's just gifted. Sammy still has a lot of growing up to do, and so does Jungle Boy. But damn, this didn't get me excited for the main event. Now, we cut to a promo with Wardlow and Arn Anderson discuss the TNT Championship ladder match at AEW Double or Nothing. Uh, Wardlow basically saying that, you know, Christian thinks he has the advantage because of the ladder match, but Wardlow has also had success in ladder matches in AEW. Uh, in fact, he won the he won the gold ring that got him the TNT title shot to become the TNT champion uh, the first time. Um, so he's basically saying he's good in this ladder match and Arn Anderson basically talking him up saying you know what Wardlow is willing to do in that match to uh beat Christian and that Christian's not ready for Wardlow and all I know is I'm going to be very excited for this match and because Christian's involved I expect there to be psychology in this ladder match and I'm just hoping we're not going to see 50 fucking ladders in this match if anything if it could be like the HBK Razor match just have one it'd be fucking epic but I'm hoping this doesn't become a fucking spot fest from hell. But I'm hoping because of Christian's, you know, age, they're not going to do too many stupid bumps. And on that note, we'll move on to the next match of the evening. We got Taya Valkyrie one-on-one -on -one against Lady Frost. Okay, I'm going to be brutally honest here. I have no fucking idea who Lady Frost is. Never heard of her. I don't even remember if she's ever been on TV prior to this. I will say she is decent, but it was blatantly obvious that Taya Valkyrie was going to win this match. I'm actually kind of shocked because I didn't know if Taya Valkyrie was ever going to come back. I didn't know if she was going to want to come back. And I also didn't know that she was going to be facing Jay Cargill for the TBS championship. I had no idea that was going to happen. 
But they did advertise it during this match. They are going to face off for the championship. And basically, here's all I'm going to say about this. Apparently, Jay Cargill is now 60-0. and 0. Now that she's reached 60 wins, it is now time for this stupid bitch to lose the title. So I'm going to steal one of Jay's catchphrases now and say, Tony, cut the shit. Only this time, I'm not addressing Tony Schiavone. I'm addressing Tony Khan. Cut the shit. Get this title off of this bitch who is not drawing money, who is not having good matches, and is doing nothing to elevate this title. Again, you have the title around the waist of somebody who is not elevating it. Now, the difference between her and Pockets is the title did elevate Jade Cargill, but she's not elevating that belt. With Pockets, the title's not elevating him. He's not elevating the title. Pockets is still where he's always been. Jade Cargill has at least moved up the ladder a little bit, and she has had some matches that were good. Not all of them, but she's had a few. So, Taya Valkyrie damn well better win, especially after that horrible fucking finish that they had the last time they fought. It is Taya's time. It is time for Tony Khan to acknowledge that a lot of his favorites and a lot of the AEW smart mark neckbeards out there, their favorites don't draw money and will not make this company successful because they don't know how to do it and they don't want to learn. They just want to do their shit. So find some people with some star power behind their fucking names and use that star power to elevate your belts and elevate your company. At this point, we need to find out, is AEW a hobby or is this a job? Does Tony want to make money with this or does he just want to have fun with all the other marks? What does he want to do? You want to have fun with the marks, keep doing what you're doing, that's what's going to fucking happen. But if you want to make money and you want to be taken seriously and you want to be a real threat to WWE, it is time to start getting some stars as your fucking champion. That being said, the match was okay. And on that note, we cut to the backstage area with Tony Khan, who confirms that the first episode of AEW Collision will be at the United Center in Chicago, Illinois. So they are now officially allowed to say that it's in Chicago. So of course, now that it's in Chicago, fans are excited because now we're going to get the answer to our question. Is CM Punk coming back to AEW? Because why else would you hold this in Chicago, Illinois? So I'm going to tell you right now. When June 17th rolls around, if CM Punk is not in the building, those fans are going to fucking riot. Some may even get up and walk the fuck out. Because now fans are expecting CM Punk to be there. And if he is... We now need to know, what is the future going to hold? Is he going to be able to get along with the immature jack-off EVPs? Or are they going to be kept separate from each other? Will they use the heat from that brawl to draw money for Wembley? Which is what we should see. Whether we see a six-man with, with Punk and FTR against Kenny and the Bucks. Or if it's just one-on-one, -on -one, CM Punk and Kenny Omega. Either way, we need to see something happen. Now... If you want to keep them separate, that's fine. Because I look forward to seeing what Punk will do in some rivalries. I also look forward to seeing if Punk is going to get ever get the AEW title back. Like, will he be the one to dethrone MJF? And then hopefully Punk can have a proper run with the championship that doesn't end in injury 
but it doesn't end with him getting stripped of the title or suspended. We're going to see what happens. But I'm going to tell you right now, the future of Collision rests solely on CM Punk coming back. Because running a show on a Saturday, a regular show, is not easy to do. Saturday Night Live is one of the few shows that can draw high ratings on a Saturday. And even that is hard to watch for most people nowadays. Also, Cops in the past aired on Saturday. We talked about this on the uh, Dark Side of the 90s. They managed to get good ratings somehow. But those are the exceptions to the rule. In general, Saturday is the kiss of death. Because usually on a Saturday, everybody's going out. Very few people are home on a Saturday watching TV. Now, that might be more common today, but it wasn't back in the day. And Gator even said, we can't do a, a recap of Collision because we're busy on the weekends. Gator's working shows. I'm working shows. The best thing we can do is on Wednesday, hit some highlights of the show. And that's probably what we'll do since Collision is another two-hour show in addition to Dynamite. So it's kind of like they're Raw and SmackDown. Because we don't give a shit about Rampage. We never watch Darker Elevation. Thank God those are getting fucking canceled. But now it's time to find out once and for all if CM Punk is coming back and if Tony's going to do right by him. Because people can say whatever they want about CM Punk, good or bad. Here are the facts. Punk is the biggest star in that company. Nobody draws more money for AEW than CM Punk. And on that note, we cut to an in-ring segment with Adam Cole and Chris Jericho. They're having a contract signing for their match at Double or Nothing, which is basically going to be an unsanctioned match. Now, basically what this means is this is a match where anything goes and AEW is not liable for anything that happens. And they're doing this contract signing to basically state they cannot sue AEW for anything that happens. They are relieved of all liability and all that. They waive their right to sue. They waive their right to a lot of things. That's basically what this is about. Now, before I get into the contract signing, here's what I want to say about this being an unsanctioned match. Usually in AEW, when they do unsanctioned matches, it usually happens at the end of the show. Or the end of the pay-per-view. They shut off all the lights. They say the show is officially over. And they come out to the ring. Now sometimes they add music. Other times they don't. Personally, I think if it's an unsanctioned match, there shouldn't be any music. But then again, it is Adam Cole and Chris Jericho. And the fans love responding to their music. So they're probably going to fucking play it. But now I'm wondering, is this going to be the match that takes place after the Pillars 4-Way? So now Adam Cole and Chris Jericho become the last match. Now, technically, they're not the main event, but they're going to be the last match on the show. And some weird technicality there. But anyway, Cole calls Jericho a scumbag and a disgusting human being. He vows to beat the living hell out of Jericho. Cole says the blood won't be on AEW's hands. It will be on his, and that's just the way he likes it. Now, I should preface beforehand that when Tony was explaining the contract, Adam Cole didn't even read it. He just opened it up, signed it, and then shoved it over to Jericho. I love that. I love that immensely. I like that. He's basically saying, look, I'm not here to waste any time. We already know I want this match. I'm signing it, and then I'm going to run my mouth. He tells Jericho that he's going to break his legs, shatter his jaw, and break his hands. Jericho plays the clip of Soraya attacking Britt Baker and questions what kind of a man would let that happen to the love of his life. Jericho dares Cole to hit him, and Roger Strong holds him back. Jericho is going to knock Cole's teeth down his throat. He says Cole can't beat him, and he knows it. Cole says that he knows the Jericho Appreciation Society will have the numbers advantage, so he made a phone call to someone who is homicidal, suicidal, genocidal. He brought in Sabu. Sabu comes out and stands in Cole's corner. Sabu draws Matt Menard when he tries to attack, and the JAS flees. Great, great segment. I also love the fact that Adam Cole said, sign it, bitch. 
And then the crowd starts chanting, sign it, bitch, sign it, bitch, sign it, bitch. And he goes, I am not a bitch. I don't live in Las Vegas. So Jericho, of course, you know, taking the dig at the crowd before going off on Adam Cole. I'm definitely looking forward to this match. It's going to be violent. And I will say this. If the Jericho Appreciation Society is going to interfere in this match, I really do hope that Sabu will be there to even up the odds. But most importantly, I don't know where Kyle O'Reilly is with his neck injury, but if Kyle O'Reilly is medically cleared to come back to wrestling, this will be the time to bring him back. I will also say that if they can somehow get Bobby Fish to come back, whatever issues they have with Bobby, if they can re-sign him and get him back in AEW, I want to see the Undisputed Elite back together. I want to see those four guys back together and I want to see them run rough shot in AEW. And hopefully at some point down the road, we can see them in a blood and guts match. But I would do that. I would re-sign Bobby Fish just to reunite this team and have Kyle O'Reilly come back from his injury. It would be perfect. And then they have a video package hyping up the women's world title match between Jamie Hayter and Tony Storm. All I care about is I hope that ass Tony Storm wins. And that's all I got to say about that. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. We got Roderick Strong versus Daniel Garcia. This is wrestling. Actually, no, let me let me phrase that. This is wrestling. This is wrestling. This is wrestling. This is wrestling. That is exactly what this is. This, ladies and gentlemen, is wrestling. Two technically gifted wrestlers in the ring. Not doing stupid shit, but actually working a match. This was brilliant. It was well done. And it was one of the best matches, if not the best match of the entire evening for the simple fact that it had psychology. And that goes a long way. In the end, Strong gets the win with the end of heartache. And Daniel Garcia will live to get over another day. And now we cut to... I can't believe I'm talking about this shit. Willow Nightingale winning the New Japan Pro Wrestling Strong Women's Championship over Mercedes Monet at NJPW Resurgence. And highlight in a video package, Willow says she wants to prove how strong she is. Now... Some people are saying that Mercedes got injured in the match and they called an audible or whatever. I don't know and I don't care. All I know is this. Willow Nightingale is a joke. She has been a joke throughout her entire AEW run. She has not had one good match. She has not cut one good promo. This is probably the best match she's ever had in her whole entire career. And I owe that to Mercedes Monet, a.k.a. Sasha Banks, being a ring general. And pulling out a great match out of Willow Nightingale. Proving that she would be a better addition to AEW than Willow Nightingale. But the fact that Mercedes job to her is fucking embarrassing. And people want to talk about her being unselfish or whatever. Here's the thing. There's a difference between being unselfish and diminishing your value. Willow Nightingale is not a person that Mercedes should be putting over. If Mercedes is going to do a job, it should be to somebody that's actually deserving of holding a title, which Willow Nightingale is not. She's god-fucking-awful in the ring. And the only logical explanation I can come up with for why she's going to hold this fucking thing is for her to defend it at Forbidden Door. Now, of course, 
if Mercedes wasn't injured, I would have had her retain that championship and bring her to Forbidden Door. Because that's a woman who, as I've mentioned many, many times before on the show, is going to draw money. Sasha Banks, and I'm going to call her that for now, is a money draw. For the simple fact, she was insanely over in WWE. She was one of the four horsewomen of the women's division. Sasha Banks had some of the greatest women's matches in WWE. She was the legit boss for a shoot. That's how fucking good she was. That's a woman you want defending a title or at least having a match at Forbidden Door. That's going to get people to order that pay-per-view. That's how you bring in the casual fan to watch that show. Because the marks are already going all over it. But if you want to bring in some other fans that otherwise wouldn't waste their breath on Forbidden Door, you get Mercedes. The only shit about Willow Nightingale is that a bunch of dumbass marks who care more about stars doing jobs and, you know, inclusion and diversity and all that shit to actually look at skill and talent. Waste of fucking time. And on that note, we move on to the main event of the evening for the Ring of Honor Tag Team Titles. The Lucha Brothers with Alex Abrahantes defend the titles against Claudio Castanoli and Wheeler Useless of the Blackpool Combat Club. This was... eh, This was not great. It wasn't. You know, the Lucha Brothers, they just do the Lucha bullshit. Wheeler Useless was exactly that in this match, as always, fucking useless. And Claudio... Basically, instead of getting the Lucha Brothers to wrestle his style, he lowered himself to wrestle theirs. And the match was basically Dullsville. And then, of course, the dumb fucks hold Claudio back and the Lucha Brothers get the win with the fear factor. And the Lucha Brothers successfully retain the tag belts. Which is what should happen because um, Claudio is already the Ring of Honor World Champion. He doesn't need to be a tag team champion on top of that. At least, that's how I feel. I mean, if Claudio is going to win a tag belt, it should be with John Moxley. And Claudio should not be the Ring of Honor World Champion while he does it. If anything, I would give the world title to Brian Danielson. Have Moxley and Claudio be the tag champs and then have fucking Useless win back that pure championship. And that's what I would do to have all four guys holding Ring of Honor belts. That's what I would do. So, of course, after the dumb fucks get involved, Moxley and Brian Danielson come to the ring. The dumb fucks escape in the crowd. Moxley gets a microphone and tells them they will get plastered at double or nothing. Mox said it will be the wildest, most violent match in AEW history. So if we thought we saw blood and violence before, we ain't seen nothing yet. Well, I'm not going to see nothing, period, because I have no desire to watch that fucking match. As I mentioned before, we're invoking the elite rule, so there will be no recap of Anarchy in the arena. Gator and I will be skipping over that match, regardless of where it is on the card. All right, and that, ladies and gentlemen, will wrap up this recap of AEW. I thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, make sure you guys follow the Boochcast. We're on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Pick your favorite hosted site and follow us there, or be a super fan and follow us on all four hosting sites. Also, like us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash the Boochcast. We have archived episodes of the show as well as great content. Make sure you guys check out the Mail Soap Opera Moment where we gave our recap of WWE Backlash. Wenz posted them in three separate videos. Two of them have individual matches. The one has all the rest. I put it together in a playlist that's on the Facebook page for you guys to check out. So go see that. And of course, later this week, we will be giving our predictions for WWE Night of Champions taking place Saturday at 1 p.m. So before that pay-per-view airs, 
We will have our predictions set up so you can go to the Boochcast Facebook page and check it out. Also, make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at the Boochcast. Get the latest tweets, photos, and videos. Visit our YouTube channel. Check out all of our YouTube content. And be sure to hit the subscribe button and ring that bell. Be notified when future content will be posted. We'll be getting out the Dark Side stuff very soon. Uh, like I said, once I get everything fixed up, Dark Side of the 90s will be dropping. I plan on collaborating with Lance for Dark Side of Football, getting some comments together for Dark Side of Comedy, and of course, with Dark Side of the Ring uh, starting pretty much on Tuesday, be on the lookout for Boochcast Reviews, Dark Side of the Ring episodes also coming soon to the YouTube channel. And of course, make sure you follow us on Twitch. Go to twitch.tv slash theboochcast. That's where we do our live wrestling watch parties. Our next watch party will be Saturday, August the 5th for WWE SummerSlam. Make sure you join us for the biggest party of the summer. And we may have a different location that we'll be holding the watch party at, but I'll have to wait till the details are finalized before I can tell you that. And of course, we have our live D&D show coming soon, our Boochcast booking battle, and another special project in the works. And, of course, you can support the Boochcast by going to podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash the Boochcast slash support. Become a supporter of the Boochcast. Support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. We have three levels you can donate at. Pick the one that works the best within your budget. We have our first level, which is $0.99, cents, $1 per month. We have our second level, which is $4.99, $5 per month. The same amount of money you would pay for a Peacock subscription. I know a lot of you guys out there aren't fans of the Peacock. So don't give them money. Give us money. We get better content than Peacock anyway. And we got the third and final level you can donate at, which is for a mere $9.99. $10 per month. The same amount of money we used to pay for a WWE Network subscription here in the United States. Ever since they sold it to Peacock, got nowhere to put that $9.99. So $10.99, bring it over here. We got better content than Network. And unlike Endeavor, we actually care about our fans and are dedicated to giving the people what they want. All you got to do is enter your credit card information and you can also check out the Spotify for podcasters privacy policy if you need reassurance on how Spotify will protect your personal data. And the best part is all the money we raise goes back into the show in some capacity. We used to upgrade our equipment. We used to bring in bigger name guests, pay the bills, and take care of all the guys who work very hard on the air and off the air to make the Boochcast a success. So if you got a favorite co-host and believes they're to be paid for their hard work, podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash the Boochcast slash support is how you make that happen. And then if there's any money left over, when it's all said and done, we use the rest of feeds, Zachariah Scott, his ramen noodles, and try to get him laid. And until next time, this is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, saying keep on living life and take care. This has been The Boochcast. We'll talk to you guys next time. Until then, pizza, baby! Well, I see by the clock on a wall that it's time to bid you one and all. Goodbye. Goodbye. So long. So long. Farewell. Farewell. Adieu. Adieu. Be good. Stay well. Bye-bye. Keep warm. Relax. And eat. Take care. Stay loose. Adieu, mon vieux. À la prochaine. Goodbye till when we meet again.